Well, good morning. Let's pray together, shall we? How good it is, Lord, to sing Alleluia to you as the immortal, invisible God. But though you're invisible to us, we can't see your face, yet you have revealed yourself through your Son, Jesus, and through your Word. So may our eyes be open today to see you with fresh eyes, to see you more clearly than we ever have before. Feed us, Lord, from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a friend invited me to go rock climbing with him. I don't know if you've ever done that. It's quite an experience. And we stood underneath this 40-foot cliff, sheer, and... So he said, okay, let me put this harness on you and we'll put the rope on. And it was somehow attached way up high, but uh, didn't look that secure to me. And he said, I don't, I'm not a person who really likes heights all that much. He said, okay, start climbing. And he's holding one end of the rope and I'm starting to climb and the rope is slack so you can't feel it. And I get a little ways up and he says, okay, now let go. And I'm thinking, no way. <laughs> I'm not letting go. This rock's secure. I'm going to hang on to it. He said, no, no, you have to let go so you know that the rope will catch you. So at that point, he said, okay, and I let go, and I fell back, but the rope caught me. And I swung into the rock and was able to... He said, okay, now you're ready to climb because you know the rope will catch you. And I'll tell you, that changed my experience of rock climbing. Because I knew that I would be okay, that I would be caught by that rope. So I was able to climb with more confidence. I was able to take more risks as I went, reach for places I thought I couldn't reach because I knew I was secure in that rope attached to the rock. You see, God wants us to live a life in Him where we live freely, abandoned to Him, trusting in Him and His security so that we're able to live more fully for His kingdom. We're able to take risks to step beyond what we ever thought we could ever do. But I find that many of us as Christians live lives of fear. We're afraid somehow that our own failure is going to mess things up or that somehow that we're going to fall, that something's going to collapse, that our finances are going to fall apart or something's going to happen. So we've got to either stay on the ground or just get a little ways up and just hang on as tight as we can to try to find some sense of security in this life. So what can free us up from those fears so that we can let go and begin to live boldly and confidently for Him instead of living in fear? Well, we're in Ephesians chapter 1. And as you recall, Rod's been describing for us these spiritual blessings. In verse 3 of chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul writes this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. What an amazing statement. And so for the next number of verses from verse 3 to verse 14, the end of 14, it's one long run-on sentence because Paul is so excited about all the spiritual blessings we've received in Christ. And so he enumerates them one after another. 
as he tells us all these amazing things that God has done for us, that God knows that we are a fallen humanity. We've been twisted by sin, by our rebellion against God. And so the book of Ephesians describes how God is creating a whole new humanity, a whole new people that are restored to him, finally in right relation to him, so that we can live fully as we were created to be. And so God's plan in helping us do that is to give us all these spiritual blessings, to bring heaven to us, in a sense, that we might experience all the spiritual blessings of the heavenly places now so we can live for him while we wait for our final redemption in heaven. So he stepped into our world, gives us these spiritual blessings, and we've looked at a bunch of them. Today we're looking at the last two in this run-on sentence as we look at verses 11 through 14. And as we look at these, they're kind of big picture blessings. And what they're meant to do is to be the harness that anchors us to Christ, to give us confidence in life. In a word, these two blessings, I just to give you one word, it's sovereignty. God's sovereignty. His majestic power, His authority over everything. And as we begin to understand His sovereignty, we begin to see how we are harnessed into Him so that we have, need have no fear of falling, but we can live boldly for Him. You see, this world is a very insecure place, isn't it? And if we try to find our security here, we just get into trouble. When I was in high school, we were on a wrestling trip, and it was a long trip going to this meet. And so we stopped to stretch our legs right next to a lake, middle of winter. And the lake was a pretty big lake, and, the, and uh, there was ice. It was frozen out a ways, probably 100 feet out. So being brilliant high school students like we were, we were walking out on the ice. And I was ahead of everybody, further out. And as I walked out there, you know, we're kind of breaking the ice here and there with places just, and it began to crack, and I'm out ahead of everybody, and suddenly it broke in front of me, and the piece I was on slanted down. My feet went underwater, and I started to lose my balance. And I was going like this, ready to fall, and I was starting to fall. But fortunately, one of my teammates right behind me just happened to reach out and grab my belt loop and pull me back. Or I might still be swimming under there. I don't know. <laughs> it was scary. But that's a picture for me of what the world is like. When we try to find our security from what the world has to offer, it's just insecure. It's melting ice. It's breaking up. It cannot provide the security we want. So if you look to financial security your 401k, your investments, and you just think, okay, that's where I get my security. That's where I get my confidence to face life. As we well know from the last couple of years, that's a poor place to put your confidence in life. Some of us try to put our confidence in our health. I'll exercise a lot. I'll take all the vitamins. I'll eat the right things. And so I can find my security if I just stay healthy. But as we all know, that's foolish because anything ha can happen and these bodies are deteriorating. They just are. 
And we will all face severe health issues at some point in our lives. So that's a bad place to get our security from in life. Some of us try to get our security from relationships. If, if I just invest in my spouse and if they'll just love me well or this friendship or these friends or whatever it is, then, then I can feel okay. But those things don't last either. A relationship can turn bad very quickly or a loved one can be lost or whatever. It's a place that is not a good place to try to hook your harness into to get security. It's insecure. Some of us try to put our, get our security from our own faithfulness. I'll be disciplined. I'll do it right. And as long as I can just keep it together, I'll be okay. And that doesn't work either because we all fail. We all struggle. We all sin. Or maybe we try to keep our, get our security from status. If other people will just, if I can just keep it together enough so people will think I'm a good person and a nice person or whatever. And then that doesn't work because for whatever reason, people turn on you because they're sinners too. Or we try to get our security maybe from our success. If I can just be successful at work and keep climbing the ladder or do a good job or, or whatever it might be, good, be a good parent, be a good spouse, if I can just do it right, then I'll have security in life. Well, again, all of these things, all they do is provide more insecurity and cause us to lose our balance in life and so we're thrown out of kilter it doesn't work but these spiritual blessings are meant to be the security his sovereignty is meant to anchor us into the rock Jesus Christ in a way that allows us to live fully and freely for him as we trust in his sovereignty so let's look at these two spiritual blessings that give us security in Him. The first one is that He chose us. He chose us. Verse 11. My translation, you might have to begin at the end of verse 10, but begins this way. In Him, we have been chosen. In Him, we have been chosen. Let me focus on that little phrase, in Him. As Rod has been telling us all the way through this big run-on sentence, Paul keeps saying, in Him, in Him, in Christ, in Christ, in Him, in Him. It's a reminder that all the spiritual blessings we have, the life that He's given us, spiritual life, is all due to our connection with Christ. It's staying connected to Him. It's that we are in Him. As Jesus put it in John 15, where He describes the vine and the branches, I am the vine, you're the branches. He who abides in me, who who stays connected to me, will bear much fruit. For apart from me, he says, you can do something. Nothing. Nothing of real value. Nothing. So everything we have is in him. And so if you know him, you have access to all the spiritual blessings that Paul's been enumerating for us. It's all in him. Then he says, now my translation says this, in him we have obtained an inheritance. If you have the NIV, it says we were chosen in him. Now those are two very different meanings. (laughs) Paul, what did you actually say here? 
Well, there's confusion, obviously, because this is a word, the Greek word there is used only here in the New Testament, nowhere else. And it's a little hard to figure out, but I think the evidence is pretty strong. I agree with John Stott and other commentators that chosen is a good translation here, that we were chosen to be his inheritance. We were chosen as God's inheritance, that God chose us because he wanted us to be his inheritance, that someday when we're with him, he will enjoy his full inheritance, which is us. Now, that's a little different idea for us, but if you know your Old Testament, and if you read it closely, you realize Israel saw themselves as God's inheritance. Let me give you an example. We could turn to a number of verses, but I just want to read Psalm 33, verse 12, where the writer says this, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. That was originally Israel, but Israel didn't follow the Lord. They didn't fulfill their plan. And so who did? Jesus did. He's the only one who was the true inheritance of God, the chosen one who fulfilled everything. And now, Jews, Gentiles, whoever puts their faith in him, we become the chosen inheritance. We get chosen. So we're chosen in him to be his inheritance, to be what he chose for life, for fulfillment. Maybe there's a time you can think of when you were chosen for something special. Chosen to fulfill a special part, perhaps. Chosen to go to the university that you really wanted to. Chosen to be on an athletic team that you competed for. I hope you've had an experience somewhere where you can look back and say, yeah, there was something really wonderful about waiting and longing and then being chosen. Being wanted. Belonging. Chosen for a job that you applied for. Whatever it might be. That is how we were chosen to be one of his inheritance, his, in, his heritage, he says. And he says he did this because we've been predestined. We've been chosen, having been predestined according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. We were predestined. God chose us before time. And he says he has a plan that he's working out. It's a plan that is all purposed, planned out according to his will. In other words, he's working out this grand scheme, this grand plan that he's had all along. And he says, amazingly enough, that he works everything, not just some things, but everything according to that plan. This is heavy stuff, right? I mean, we're talking about God's sovereignty at the highest level. That God chose us because he had a grand plan and you and I were part of that plan. And then he works everything according to that plan to make sure that that plan gets fulfilled. God is sovereign. He's thought it all through. He's planned it all out. Nothing is outside of that plan of his. I understand that's mind-boggling. That's hard to understand sometimes. Hard things, etc. But listen to what the disciples say as they're praying in Acts chapter 4 about Jesus, verse 27 and 28. They say this, For truly in this city 
There were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. So he describes there's this vast array, arrayed against Jesus. And then he says this: to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. Think about that, what the disciples are saying there. They're saying this stuff that happened to Jesus, it was all according to God's plan because God had a bigger plan that he was working out through the suffering of our Lord. He is sovereign. So what that means is that whatever is happening in your life, good, bad, etc., none of it is outside of God's Sovereign, gracious, loving control. Now understand, suffering isn't easy and it doesn't always feel loving. But what Paul is saying is something very profound that is very important for us to grasp because it's what harnesses us and gives us confidence in life is to understand that God has chosen us and He works everything according to His plan. And remember where Paul is at this point. I don't know if we've talked about that yet. As Paul writes these words, he's sitting in a Roman prison, chained, as he wrote the book of Ephesians. Paul, who was so anxious to preach the gospel everywhere he went, could sit there and say, wow, (laughs) we've all been chosen. Isn't this awesome? Isn't this a great spiritual blessing? And God's working everything according to his will. Even my imprisonment. God's working it out. He has a plan in this. You see, Paul says this is a great spiritual blessing. It is the harness that catches us when we fall. It ensures that nothing I do can mess up God's plan. My weakness, my struggles, my failures, none of that can mess up God's plan. He chose us because He's working out his whole plan. And what's amazing about that then is if you realize that, wow, God, I'm harnessed to you. I can't fall. That means I am free to live for you, to live for a greater purpose, to live for your plan, to live for the kingdom of God. I don't have to hang on to all these things to try to find security in my own life. I'm free to live fully for you by faith. My dad, when he was turned 18 in 1942, He immediately enlisted in the army. Why did he do that? Because he felt like rather than continue to go to school and, you know, take care of himself, focus on his own life, he wanted to give his life for a greater purpose. He really believed fully that he needed to be part of saving the world from Adolf Hitler. So he enlisted, went to war, spent three years in the army, was injured, blown up by a landmine. But for the rest of his life, my dad said, and my dad did a lot of good things in his life, but he said the greatest thing I ever did in my life was enlist and be part of saving the world from Adolf Hitler. 
You see, we are free to take risks and step out and even risk our lives for the kingdom of God, to live for Jesus, to live for a greater purpose, God's redeeming of the world because he has chosen us, he has called us to live for his plan, for his purposes. You see, God's working to heal the universe, to make it right, to turn the world right through his sovereignty, and we get to be part of that. So it allows us to live more freely for him. And what's the end of this? What's the end of all this purpose of what we get to live for? He tells us at the end of verse 12, and again at the end of verse 14, all of this, verse 12 says this, to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ, first Jews, but then us, all of us as well, would be to the praise of his glory. At the end of verse 14, God did all this, gave us spiritual blessings to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. That's why we're here. That God might be revealed for who he really is as the Lord of heaven and earth. As God. That's our purpose, to the praise of his glory. You see, let me give you just a picture. Maybe this will help you understand what what he's getting at here. God created the world perfect. Adam and Eve walked with God, but when they chose to sin against him, to say, no, God, I'm not going to trust you. I am going to be the center of my world. It was as if the solar system that was created by God with a sun in the center, which gives warmth and life to all the rest of the planets, which rotate properly around the sun. When Adam and Eve sinned, it's as if they, suddenly this whole solar system was thrown out of whack because suddenly man said, no, I want to be the center of the universe. Not you, God, me. And it threw the whole solar system off and it's been out of kilter, careening through space on this earth ever since. But God is in a place of restoring as he chooses us, calls us to him, and we learn to live for the praise of his glory. In other words, put him back in the center of the solar system and learn to rotate our lives around him instead of trying to get him to rotate around us. (laughs) When we put him back in the proper place and allow him to be the center to the praise of his glory, let him be the center of life and warmth in the universe, everything is right. Everything's back as it should be. That is is living to the praise of his glory. So that's the great calling. That's what we get to do, to live for the praise of his glory. That's his plan, and we get to be part of it. But let me say, just as a bit of an aside, some of us, as we're talking about God's sovereignty, I know we struggle with that. We think, yeah, but it doesn't seem fair, and how can God choose some, and not others or whatever. You know, what, is this, what does this really mean? And, um, and does it mean that we're not really responsible? I mean, if God's sovereign, then it doesn't matter what I do, right? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Leslie. <laughs> Absolutely not. There's a wonderful mystery about this that none of us fully understand because we... We are so limited in our understanding. We, we see so little of the big picture of reality. 
It's interesting as you go on in the passage, notice verse 13. After talking about his predestination, his choosing, his plan, he says in verse 13, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him. Notice, he says to the Ephesians, Man, you were chosen! Isn't it amazing according to God's predestination? But the only way you could come to faith is listening to the truth and you believed. Now wait a minute. Paul, are you confused here? Either God's sovereign or, or, you know, it's all up to us, one or the other. No. Scripture teaches both. God is sovereign, but what we do matters. We are responsible. We have free will to choose him or not. How does that work? None of us knows. I do know throughout church history, as people have tried to resolve that issue in their mind theologically and either overemphasize one or the other, they've always gotten into trouble theologically, into heresy. Scripture teaches both. It's a mystery that we need to continue to hold in tension. I like the way John Stott, a great theologian, puts it. He says... In this very context, talking about this passage, in which our salvation is attributed entirely to the will of God, our own responsibility is also described. Let no one say, therefore, that the doctrine of election by the sovereign will and mercy of God, mysterious as it is, makes either evangelism or faith unnecessary. The opposite is the case. It is only because of God's gracious will to save that evangelism has any hope of success and faith becomes possible. The preaching of the gospel is the very means that God has appointed by which he delivers from blindness and bondage those whom he chose in Christ before the foundation of the world. And he sets them free to believe in Jesus and so causes his will to be done. So I encourage you, if you struggle with this, which... Who doesn't if they really think about it to some degree? Don't let God's sovereignty be a stumbling block to you to make you turn away from God somehow. No! Use it the way Paul used God's sovereignty as an encouragement to trust Him more. To say, wow, that frees me up. I'm harnessed to the rock. You're going to catch me. I don't have to be afraid so I can live fully and freely for you. I don't have to take care of myself because you're there fulfilling your plan and I get to be part of it. You see how God's sovereignty sets us free to trust Him even more, to live confidently and passionately for the kingdom of God. So the first spiritual blessing Paul gives us in these verses is that He chose us according to His plan. Secondly, it says He sealed us. Sealed us. Again, in verse 13, after listening to the message, the gospel of salvation, having believed... You were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. He sealed us. Now, what does this word seal mean? Well, in the, the word means, the way it was used in, in Paul's day was it was used to seal a letter. Like a king, whoever was the person in authority, they would write their letter and then they would close it and they would drop hot wax on it and then they would put their seal on it. This seal on the letter had three purposes. For one, it authenticated the letter as truly from the king. He had a unique seal and it said, okay, if this seal is on 
the letter, it is truly from the king. Secondly, it was a mark of ownership. It meant, yes, this is the king's letter, no one else's. No one else has the right to this letter. And then third, it's a mark of protection. It meant no one could tamper with this letter except the one to whom it was addressed by the king himself. Do you get the analogy? Paul says we were sealed by the Holy Spirit. When you heard the word of truth, he says, and you believed in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you were placed in him and the Holy Spirit was placed in you. And you were sealed. You were marked then as authentic, a true believer. You were marked as his possession. You belonged to him. And you were protected at that point so that no one could tamper with you. Satan cannot get to you. Oh, he can throw thoughts at us and try to deceive us, and, but he has no real authority, no real power over us. He can't take over our lives. He can't do that because you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Doesn't that give you confidence and hope and encouragement that I'm His? I belong to Him. I'm protected. I'm guarded. I am His. And he, then he says this Holy Spirit is given in verse 14 as a pledge or a deposit of our inheritance. This word means like a down payment. Like when you buy a house, you say, okay, yeah, I want this house and I'll put down this down payment, a certain amount of money. And at that point, I'm committing myself to pay the rest. Signing a contract. And it says what God did is he gives us the Holy Spirit as that down payment to say, hey, here's part of me, my life planted in you. Someday you'll have the fullness when you get your redeemed body, he says, when we stand before him and finally, completely, we are his. Like the scripture says, we have been saved. It also says we are being saved. It also says we will be saved. Again, that's kind of a mystery, but we were saved when we put our faith in Christ. We received the Holy Spirit at that point. Immediately, when you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit. And then he begins to work out in your life this salvation. But someday when we get our new bodies, we'll be fully redeemed and we'll be fully, completely his. This word is also used in modern Greek today to describe it, uh, the word for engagement ring. If you go to Greece today, this Greek word that's used here for a pledge or down payment is used as an engagement ring. Again, that's another wonderful picture of how the Holy Spirit is our engagement ring. We're now His. We're committed. And yeah, the fullness, you know, our wedding day is going to be when we go be with Jesus. But for now, we're engaged and we have the ring as proof we are His. The Holy Spirit is in us. He's our life. So what Paul is saying is when you put your faith in Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit, He seals you permanently as His. You're His. You're protected you receive the engagement ring. He begins living out his life in you right then and there. You can depend on him. You can trust him. Maybe a question, though, that comes up at this point is, okay, but how do I know the Holy Spirit's in me? What should be different about me? What should I experience if the Holy Spirit's 
really in me. Sometimes we think, well, it's some feeling. You know, if I, uh, I should feel a certain way all the time. I don't know what that is, really happy or, or excited or whatever. We think it's Holy Spirit should be some kind of feeling. Or we think, and some theologies teach this, that you should speak in tongues. That's evidence of the Holy Spirit. Because that happened sometimes in the New Testament, not always when people received Christ. But when they received the Spirit, sometimes they spoke in tongues. Well, is that the evidence? Well, as you study the New Testament, there are evidences given for the Holy Spirit being in you. I want to list five for you quickly, just to help you understand how you know the Holy Spirit's in you, how you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, for example, in the Upper Room Discourse, says that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit works conviction in us. Maybe you've experienced this, I hope you have, where the things you used to do before you received Christ, and then they didn't bother you all that much. You might feel a little guilty here and there, you know, for some reason, or because your upbringing, but you weren't all that convicted about it. But then you receive Christ, and you suddenly find the things you used to do, you're convicted about them. You no longer want to do them. You sense how wrong they were. That's a sign of the Holy Spirit working in you. Jesus also says in the Upper Room Discourse that a sign of the Holy Spirit being in you is the Holy Spirit, he tells his disciples, leads you into all the truth. I think the way that works out in our lives is before you're a believer, you might have read the Bible perhaps, and it just didn't make sense to you. It didn't really connect with you. You might have understood some of the words, but it didn't connect. But after the Holy Spirit's in you, suddenly you read the Word, and it's not that you understand everything, but you realize it's about you. <laughs> it connects with you. Suddenly it comes alive. It's, you realize it's a living Word, and it's written to you. That's a sign of the Holy Spirit in you. Also, the Scriptures tell us, Paul tells us, that when you receive the Holy Spirit, you receive a spiritual gift. A sign of the Spirit being in you is that you begin to move from selfishness more and more to wanting to love others and to use your abilities and gifts that God's given you to love others. And you find your heart being drawn to that. That's a sign of the Holy Spirit being in you. Paul also says in Galatians chapter 5, he describes the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit, the evidence that the Spirit's in you is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit. So as you walk through life and you find yourself changing, and hopefully you've had this experience where you're kind of going along and you go, you know, the things I used to struggle with, they're changing. Or I'm learning to be more patient. I'm learning to be more kind. I'm learning to be more gentle. I'm learning to love more, to have more joy in my life. And these fruits of the Spirit begin in little ways to be evidenced in your life. That's proof that the Spirit's in you, that you've been sealed by the Spirit. And then finally, one more. I could go on, but I'll just give you one more. Romans 8. Paul says that the Holy Spirit confirms in us that we are children of God. That sense that once you accept Christ, all of a sudden you realize, I am His child. So that by him we cry out, Abba, Father, Paul says. That we can begin to have a living relationship with him. And, 
and learn to walk with him daily and trust him and have this relationship with him, that is evidence that you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. And notice the goal of all of this, of being sealed. Again, it's like we saw at the end of verse 12, for end of verse 14, it's all to the praise of his glory. In other words, that we might be set in right relationship with God. He's the center. We rotate around him. We're learning to trust him. We're learning to rest in his sovereignty. We've been chosen. We've been sealed. And we learn to live our lives in proper relation to him. And he is praised. I like the way Warren Wiersbe put it. He says, his creation reveals his wisdom and his power. Right? You look at creation, you go, wow, God is so wise. Look at the intricacy and the amazing way creation is put together and all the power that's revealed there. So he says, creation reveals his wisdom and power, but his church, that's us, reveals his love and grace. As God works in our life, as he seals us, chooses us, and we begin to walk with him, and people see, it's not us, it's him. And how he's loved us and shown his grace to us though we don't deserve it. Then his grace and love are revealed to a world that is out of kilter, (laughs) careening through space. People are insecure, on the ice, ready to fall, needing to know that there's a God in heaven that they can trust, believe in, and be set free. Paul is revealing great and deep mysteries in Ephesians as he's explaining these wonderful spiritual blessings. But just understand, these aren't given to us so that we'll have some kind of deep theological understanding so we can point out where everyone else is wrong in their theology. No! As Paul says, I want you to know about God's sovereignty so that you can stay harnessed into Him knowing you can live with confidence and boldness for Him and climb and reach and follow Him and trust Him because you know He loves you and will take care of you. He has chosen us. He has sealed us so we can be absolutely secure in His love, harnessed by these truths to the rock of Christ so we're free to love God and love others with our whole heart. Let's pray. Lord, what glorious truths these are. Thank you that you have chosen us and sealed us so that we can be harnessed to you and live boldly and confidently for you. May these truths go deep into our hearts. May we step out in faith, trusting that by your sovereignty, by your love, by your grace, you will catch us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.